0: This is Spoiler Country Presents, a commentary track, 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 track. where creators give you behind-the-scene information on the comics you love. Alright, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kendrick Regan, fat. Right over there is Mr. Horsley, and today it's a special edition.
1: It is. It's the start of a new thing.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a whole new sub-series. And our first installment is with the creator of Dead End Kids, Frank Gogol, and Johnny. Want you to lay this out what we're going to hear?
1: Yeah, sure. This is a cool idea that came to us, you know, from from Frank over to Casey, and it was like, hey, what about an audio commentary? And we're going to steal it. Thanks, Frank. Um, What about an audio commentary for the comic book? Like they go through going through page by page, kind of like you would for a DVD commentary for a movie and kind of giving background on panels or on ideas and where things came from. And personally, I love the idea because finding out more behind the creator's mind about what they do when they creating a, a page or a panel it's just it's super exciting to me and be able to follow along with the book and kind of say okay in this page they were thinking this kind of thing when they're writing it is really cool so um it gives you an idea get, of the
0: process that somebody goes yeah. through to create this from idea to actualization and exactly yeah and going through and when you love something you know the passion that comes through is is palpable you know what i mean and i i would highly suggest if this is something you think sounds cool and you want to get into it, go check out, uh, you can go to frankgoogle.com and see, and it's spelled exactly how it sounds, G-O-G-O-L. And you can find out about, about Frank, more of him and the comics that he's created. And his newest one is called Dead End Kids. And that's what this one is all about. And if you like what you're hearing, maybe go get the book and then come back to this podcast and follow along with this.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this would be this is definitely uh, be more beneficial if you have the book in front of you, either physically or digitally, and kind of go through it page by page with uh, with Frank, the writer and creator of this, to get kind of those, those behind the scenes insights, which is you know something that you don't often get in in a comic book form, where we get to know a lot like what's going in there, the background of the creation of it.
0: Yeah, it's super unique, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So why don't we just get into this and and see what Frank and and Casey have to say?
2: All right. Uh... Today, guys, we have a special edition of Spoiler Country. My name is Casey Allen, and we are going to be talking to Frank Gogol, author of The Dead End Kids, and uh, this book has taken off like crazy, uh, completely sold out of its first printing, going in for a second printing. Uh, Frank, how you doing, man?
3: I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, no problem. No problem. And Again. Uh, yeah. Well, I had such a good time talking to you. I, I I figured it would be awesome to have you back and and we could kind of talk about the book. And um you could kind of extrapolate and, and and explain uh some some of your thought processes behind uh behind the book and we're just going to go over book 1 today and uh, or or you know. Yeah, I guess it would be book 1. Issue one, book one, Issue one whatever. Yeah,
3: uh, <laughs> tome uh, one, if you will.
2: <laughs> we'll we'll go over the the first uh, the first tome of uh, Dead End Kids and really just kind of show us how the sausage is made here.
3: I love that expression. I, Ooh, I,
2: I, <laughs> my skin crawl. It's it's so visceral and yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah no but uh you want to just dive right in
2: let's dive in man
3: all right um start with the cover yeah
2: yes this cover is is rad and it it makes me think of just uh just a really cool snapshot that uh i would have done with my friends when i was a kid
3: yeah it's uh there's a couple things going on here uh the, the very first thing is uh you know credit to chris mad who did the cover for me uh and did the covers for the whole main series uh chris is great friend incredible artist uh and i'm so glad he could be on board and um when we were first talking about the the concepts so the general concept for the covers this this black and white image against this like stark colorful background um he really just got it immediately um so for this cover in particular um I forget how I pitched to him. I said something to the effect of, "Like, make it look like a like an '80s or '90s sort of rock album shot. You know, these these kids are just hanging on the street corner. They don't give a shit, um, and they're leaning up against this dead end sign. Um, and and there's there's a few other things at play here. Uh, the the design of the cover is is my best imitation of uh, Victor Santos." Uh, his work, particularly on "Violent Love," the book he did with uh, Frank Barberi at Image a couple years ago now. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was it was you know black and white on like these bright colored backgrounds with like sort of an accent, almost like a Darwin Cook meets uh, Frank Miller kind of vibe. And I really wanted to sort of do my version of that because it really screamed crime book to me and what this you know this is a murder mystery so it's a crime book at its heart uh so i wanted to sort of do our version of that so uh i worked up the logo and i worked up the title treatment the, the white band and sort of picked the fonts and then chris went to town on the art and absolutely now that i think i think maybe there was one round of revisions he, he gave me sort of a thumbnail and then came back to me with it, and I said, "You know, like, can you move this like half a centimeter?" And and then it was it was as good as done. Um, and then he just knocked it out on the colors. I mean, we had a version where the colors were just flat white and flat gray, and they just they didn't work. Um, so he he did a lot of work with uh, the rendering on the coloring, and like I just yeah, this this is my second favorite cover in the series. But the, when I first saw this, like I almost shit my pants. Like I mean. Um, <laughs> be vulgar but like I really just adore this cover and it, it captured everything I was hoping it would and again like credit to Chris because he's he's that talented he and that industrious he just gets it
2: there's nothing more that that brings you back to that feeling of like Christmas morning when you were a kid than when you get art in that not not only like meets what you what you were thinking but just far exceeds your expectations and you see it and you're like, ah, this is amazing. And and with me, especially, I'm like, I'm not even that good of a writer. This guy needs to be doing something else. <laughs> so when, when you get that cover in and you see it and it just blows your mind, I'm sure that just uh, put you on a high for a little while. And, and another thing you, you, you were talking about uh, the artist and, I noticed that uh, he graffitied his name on the dead inside. Which yeah. cracks me up. I love that.
3: Well, you know what? I, I think that was actually my idea. Um, I, I always insist that the artists, you know, mark their work so people know it's theirs and so they can have, you know, the name recognition. They cover artists don't always end up on the, the cover of the book and much to uh my chagrin i didn't get chris's name on in time before print uh but he did manage to get that tag in there and like it just it's just worked in there so well and 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 sleekly that you might not even notice that that's what it is which sort of works against the point of the tag itself right it's supposed to tell you who drew it but then you don't notice it because it's so well disguised
2: oh yeah but it's it's really like an easter egg for for the reader
3: And And, and this book is full of them. (laughs) So Chris was definitely just you know, just firing on all cylinders, keeping up with the rest of the team. Like like I cannot say enough nice things about Chris in this cover. I really can't.
2: One thing I'm excited about uh, with with this talk, especially, is is getting into those Easter eggs as we go along because I I kept finding things and I was like, hmm, that that's an interesting choice. That uh, there had to be. There had to have been a little bit more thought behind that than just some random application of like, oh, this might look cool, but um, we'll find out as we go through, oh, won't man. we? Oh man, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to hear all this.
3: All right, so uh, let's let's open up the inside cover and take a look at the uh, the credits page. Which there's not a lot to say here, but you know, it's definitely worth noting. Um, when I write a book uh, and I, I write the script and hand it off to the artist, I, I get a little antsy. Um, because yeah, my role is essentially done, right. It's in other people's hands and I'm just sort of managing the process, but I get kind of idle hands. So I do a <laughs> lot of design work on my books. Um, on my first book grief, I designed the cover, um, not the art, but the, the trade dress and, and, and the chapter pages and worked really closely with the artists who did those. Um, and that, in this book, it was the same case. You know, I took Chris's background and, and tweaked it a little bit and then laid, uh, this grab of uh, one of the panels from inside the book on the first page, um, and did the the credits over and sort of what I assumed and felt like was a sort of '90s handwritten kids kind of font. Um, and like, I'm I'm pretty pleased with how this page turned out. It, it feels it feels uh, not iconic, but uh, yeah, just sort of whole to me. Um, yeah, no, it very makes and, and it fits in line with my design sense like if you see any of the books that i designed covers for that aren't mine or that are coming down the line that no one's seen yet um i have like a real jonathan hickman um vibe to my stuff with like white space and 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 white outlines on things and, and things bleeding over and this really i was i was very pleased when i found like a way to have this sort of nineties mashup children's look fit into that aesthetic that I usually have a little more of a clean design for. Um, now this, it's weird. This is one of my favorite pages in the book, (laughs) probably because my fingerprints are so all over it. Uh, but yeah, no, this, this came out really nice too. um, to toot my own horn. No, no, it looks great. And you were talking about
2: having, you know, a, a particular design aesthetic and, and just from what I've seen of your work, going back um, you that as something you've never been scared to uh, to put out there and it's always been uh, you, you've always impressed me with that
3: ah thanks I, you know I just I think a lot about branding and and sort of like there are a couple of different ways you readers can latch on to you and, and one of them is sort of if you have like a particular style you work with like I try to you know keep all of my books and my art sort of similar enough that you could say, Oh, that's, that's Frank's work. Um, and that, that just helps with recognition. Like, you know, my banners have it. Um, and if you see one banner and then you see another banner, you can sort of intuit that they belong to the same person. And I, I think that that's important. Um, and I'm not sure it's something that enough thought is given to by by creators like I you know it's most of their effort is on making the best book they can and, and I think that's that's obviously the goal and the purpose but if they have a little more time and they put more thought into this I think that some people with really awesome work could get a little more recognition for their work um, but that's an entirely different conversation
2: oh yeah I mean you could write a class on it I'm sure and especially after um, doing all the stuff that you you, you kind of put yourself through school in this <laughs> and over the past few years, and now all that's kind of coming to fruition. So, um, I'm sure you have a lot to share.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and those, those are several other conversations. <laughs>
2: um, so, so let, let's let's move on into okay. So, uh, I guess it would be page
3: two, pa- page three. Page Three. Yeah, we're both looking at PDF page three. Uh, story page one. Uh, so this is where like the story proper kicks off. Um, and And this was one that I just sort of saw in my head this this and the next page, this sequence right here. I just sort of knew it from the start. Um, so just a little sort of annotation background on this. Uh, there are sort of three things I really wanted to get going in this this early couple of pages. One is I really wanted to establish, you know, this sort of generic suburban neighborhood, um, maybe lower income. it's it's not exactly, you know, expressly shown in the art but it's it it gives you a sense that you're not like in the hamptons or anything oh yeah um and i had this this sort of cinematic thing going on in my mind where you start at the end of the street where you got the dead end sign and you slowly move down the street until you get to the lake or the pond um and then you like sort of an extreme close-up of this this polaroid picture which would be sort of like a throwback kind of also new like i remember in the late 90s like polaroids had like a real quick resurgence and and kids suddenly had them all the time that's where this came from um and then you'd turn the page and then you've got this sort of striking splash page of of ben floating in the water so that's that's sort of the stuff visually going on and and Nanad and who did the art for the book he, he really just he understood it um he got it he drew i mean comics is a static medium right it's image 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 there's no motion to it but like when you see this on the page you really get the sense that you're going down the street and like like almost from a bird's eye view going in closer and closer and closer until you hit the ground um so nanad he nailed it he got it um and and i'm going to say this about every page honestly this is this is one (laughs) of my favorite pages in the book um the other thing um on my my side of things is I really wanted to sort of really establish like one of the theses for the book and that it's that it's almost an anti coming of age story. We're going to sort of try and turn the coming of age uh, model on its head a little bit. So that's, you know, you get the opening narration, you know, you know, the story, a bunch of kids from broken homes meet, and then it sort of by the third panel, it turns it all on its head and tells you it literally says flat out, this is not that story. Um, And then that's another one of the reasons I think that this is like a really strong page. It just, it really, it captures a really in two pages. We capture a sense of like what this is going to be about, um, which is really hard to do in a small space. Um, a lot of, a lot of creator on stuff, they usually take the whole first issue to, to do set up and, and get you acquainted with the characters. And like, when you get to the last page, the splash page is like really the, the cliffhanger of like the plot starting to kick into action. You know, it's, it's like, um, this isn't a good example. It's a made up example, but in walking dead number one, if like the first zombie showed up on the last page, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, but this, this does a really good job of, of getting you in there, dropping the information you need to know, which, you know, kind of, and you, you give that artist so much room to show instead of you having to, to drop everything on, on the reader's head. You give them so much room to, uh, to show off their art and let you kind of take a tour through this town. It's literally like you're walking through this neighborhood on page one. And I, yeah, I that,
3: that was sort of the goal. Yeah. 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 It,
2: it came together so well on, on that.
3: Yeah. And, and you know, like when I was looking at the script and the art and I'd gotten it back in, like I was really nervous that it was like wordy, like, you now, panels two, three, and four are increasingly more wordy. Um, but it's just you know, a testament to, to Sean Reinhardt, the letters, you know, skill at, at laying out letters. Like I have a graphic design background. I do my own cover sometimes, but like, I just cannot letter to save my life. And like every time Sean like finds this just magnificent and like immaculate way to do it in this way that I, on, on, for lettering that I couldn't imagine how it could get done. Like it's, it's again, that Christmas morning feeling. Like I open the, the my email and I look <laughs> at the page and I'm like, that son of a bitch. He did it. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's the first page. And then the second page, like we said, is, uh, the splash of Ben floating in the water, the sort of iconic, uh, splash. And I think if I didn't miss one on the first page, that's our actual first Easter egg, uh, keen eyed readers or eagle eyed readers will maybe make the connection to this and Nirvana's album. Nevermind.
2: Yes, yes.
3: Um, it's 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 more subtle, and it's not really explicit, um, but that was the sort of that, – that was the reference shot I sent Nanat. I was like, I want this That's kid – That's awesome. <laughs> I want this kid so fucking dead in this water that he looks like the baby from Nevermind.
2: That is, I th- that is I th- awesome.
3: I think, I think even in one of the mock-ups uh, at the penciling stage, Nanette had the dollar bill in there just for reference, um, but I might be making that up. <laughs> And th- this
2: page just kicks you in the gut, because you, you've been fed about, in, in the first page of, of the story, you're, you know that uh, things aren't as good as they could be, and, but then you, you turn the page and boom, this kid is just floating in the water, and uh, that's your, you know, your real introduction to the town. You, you got a little bit of an info dump on page one but then boom you get hit with the reality.
3: Yeah, no hundred percent and you know what like when I was writing this I, I sort of thought to myself a lot like was this the best way to open the book because honestly for me at first I was like ah, this this kid's gonna be dead on this next page, but I haven't like the reader hasn't seen Ben before this and they they don't know really anything about them other than like one line of narration on the page before are they going to give a shit um and i think that i sort of circumvented a lot of that by within the space of the first issue letting people get to know the kids more and it sort of has a retroactive impact uh it's definitely impactful on its own but i think by the time we get to the end of it like you look back on it and it has more value and more feeling to it than it did like when you're reading it for the first time
2: Yes. Yes, for sure. And, uh, so let's, can we move on a little bit to, um, to, to the, uh, what was your choice? What was your decision behind having the Offsprings lyrics? Was that just something that was kind of in your head as, as you wrote this or, uh,
3: Well, real quick before we move on to that, I'd like to point out the Source Point Press proudly presents. Um, if you're looking at this as a two-page spread, the the Ben page would be on the left and the, the title page would be on the right. And that was just something I really felt was important to do. Like I want the publisher and, and the people who make this book possible to be a part of the book. Um, uh, Tom King does this a lot in his Batman run. It, it always says on on the title page, you know, DC Comics proudly presents Batman, and then the subtitle, and and that was just something that like felt like a right move to me, and and having that white bar that that text is in lead into the white page. This is a really good way to lead the eye and advance. It's a little bit of a dramatic buildup. So then we're on to the the title page, which is page four five of the uh, the PDF, Uh, and it would be the one two like fifth interior page um, or sixth interior page, something like that, some number of pages. <laughs> um, but yeah, then we got the title again, uh, the subtitle for the issue, which is wonder years. Uh, I went, out of my way as hard as I could to name all of the issues after other coming of age stories. So, this one is named after the TV show of the same name, The Wonder Years. But also, it's a, it's a play on, you know, these are the best years of your life and how ironic that is in the, the scope of and the grand scheme of these kids' lives. Um, it just it, it made sense. The second issue is called Holes after the young adult book Holes. Um, and the third issue I won't reveal the name of right now is not I bucked the trend there I set up expectations and then I pulled the carpet out from under people <laughs> um, so you asked about the offspring lyrics uh, you know I fought really hard not to include these uh, I, I didn't want to be that guy who you know inc- had lyrics on the on, on one of the pages in the book but uh, this song like it just it, it, in the timeline of my life it's from about the same point I think the song came out in 98 or 97 uh, the book set in ninety nine. The the content of these lyrics is is so poignant and and like on brand for this book that the harder I tried to make it not be part of the book, the more it forced itself in. <laughs> um, and and so we t- we talked about uh, the street earlier. It, uh, the, the street that the story is set on is called H Street, um, and I grew up on a street called Herbert Street. So that's sort of like a personal Easter egg. Um, awesome. Yeah, there's no lake or pond at the end of my street, but there is one in my town. Um, so it's it's there's there's lots of, like, meat in here as well. Uh, but this song was always something, like, when I heard it growing up and even a little bit after, like, I was a teenager, like, it always made me think back to H Street. Because where I grew up was, like, sort of low income and, and there were a lot of drugs going around and, like, you know, a lot of kids with criminal records before the age of, like, 16 so like yeah just like I, I could really identify with this song on like sort of a cellular level and, and at some point it won the argument with me and it made its way into the book and and looking back now I'm like this is fucking gold thank god I put it because <laughs> if the first two pages don't set the tone this absolutely does and I think the three together really just you you really get a sense of what this book's going to be about
2: yeah it's, it certainly reinforces like what, what the reader is in for and uh Two things about the the lyrics. One, if it's good enough for Stephen King to do, which he does often in his books, he will open it up with a, a normally a classic rock. Lyric. He <laughs> he'll,
3: he'll do he'll do two quotes. He'll do something like really poignant and like from like classical philosophy or classical literature, yes. and then he'll like juxtapose it with like something from like Bruce Springsteen. That like See, totally, yeah. totally upends, and that is actually a hundred percent. Part of what was at the back of my mind when it did this. That's why I was resisting it. Because I felt like a douchebag saying, Yeah, this isn't a Stephen King kind of story and then aping his thing. Um, but you know what, I'm a sellout, so
2: <laughs> as long as you don't have that uh, the quote from Kierkegaard in the uh, on the other page, you're good, man.
3: Uh, we, we better
2: um,
3: now uh, and you know what the other thing is um I, I talked earlier about uh the jonathan hickman influence um and his his, his new x-men stuff is coming up now and, and i've been a big fan of his since probably uh Mask mass for mars so like you know from the beginning of his career essentially um and he's got these these data pages and they're they're the you know they're in all of his books and I, there's something i study pretty closely because i think that they have a, a way of adding value in context and, and story gravitas and 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 i didn't realize it at the time but this is sort of a data page in its own weird way no it's no data but it really is it's in it's extra to the story but it enhances the experience especially if like it, it resonates with you um so i, I think that you now, if i could be so bold as to say that i'm uh, you know avant-garde here uh, this, this stuff like this I hope will keep working its way into comics and become more regular and and we can sort of cuz you know the story structure is fairly well known people read a lot now and they know the beats and when you know a book is 20 pages you know you know the last three pages are going to be sort of like the cliffhanger or the denouement and if, if it's uh, the last issue of a series so like i like these little things that break up the pace and make you read slower and make you read differently and make it a little more unexpected and and this is like a smaller example of that i'm sort of off on a tangent but um <clears throat> I like Jonathan Hickman. Apparently,
2: <laughs> that hey man, that uh, you, you're you're in a big group of people because apparently he is killing it right now. I need to check out that uh, the new X Men. It it will have inspired. It's inspired me to want to buy an X Men book, which I haven't done since I was about nineteen.
3: So when Astonishing came out, or no, a- Oh, like no, X- before
2: that I gave up. Um, oh gosh, I, I quit reading after the. Um, when they killed Professor Xavier, and it was the Age of Apocalypse, and I liked that storyline, but I gave up after that. I was really big into Generation X. Okay. And then um, the, the writer changed, and the art team changed, and I, I wasn't into it anymore. So and, and I gave up on comics entirely after that for, for a good while. But another
3: comics would make me <laughs> want to quit comics too. So. Hickman <laughs> stuff is good though. Check it out.
2: I, I, I'll have, I'll have to. Um, wh- one thing that I, I gave up on comics to to play more music. And uh, one song that we covered in my shitty high school band was uh, "The Kids Aren't All Right" by The Offspring. So I know this song uh, from stem to stern, chord changes and everything. I was actually uh, thinking earlier today if I could still remember. Uh,
3: the the power courts to it god we're, we're so in the weeds right now but i know i know, have to, I, know. <laughs> I, have, I have to talk about this i googled the singer for the first time ever didn't even know his oh, dexter, name. Holland? <laughs> dexter holland His name was dexter i didn't know it's dexter holland and this guy is a freaking he, he's a genius like yeah oh, yeah he was yeah. like a math like savant when he was in high school and was valedictorian and and like, I think he's got a PhD in, in, in math or rocket science. Or- no,
2: nope. molecular biology.
3: That's, yeah. That's- so, what a fucking weird, amazing person. Oh, yeah. 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 I should strive to be like him.
2: He, um, he went back, like, the music thing was, was taken off, and he kind of uh, put off on writing his thesis for the longest. And then he said, uh, you know what? Offspring is, has done well. I have more than enough right now. I'm going to take a break. And he went and, and finished his uh, PhD. So uh, there job. you have it,
3: kids. Yeah. It's never yeah. too late to get an education.
2: Yeah. So, okay. Th- this page right here, I think, is probably my favorite page or, or the okay. next few pages.
3: Okay. Yeah. So the next uh, four pages are essentially a sequence. Um, and I tried to do a couple things here. Um, So right now, if you're reading the book, you are going to be on the third left-hand page of the book. It's the one that starts with December 13th, 24 hours earlier. Um, So here's where I sort of righted my wrongs of sort of diving in with the, the splash page about kids that you don't necessarily care about. We go back 24 hours. And we spend a page with each kid to get a real sense of what their home life is and what their damage is and and, and what's going on. But also, um, you'll see as we go through the pages, I tried and was mostly successful at sort of having each scene set up the next scene a little more each time. Um, So on this first page, we've got Amanda, who I admit is my favorite character by far. You can tell by her. (laughs) her design is the most complex she's got green hair and a hat and i was so so interested in in and she was kind of a weird way she's kind of like like my barbie like i was just dressing her up (laughs) having fun trying outfits with her um but uh yeah this this is our first look at like the actual 90s setting of it so her room is just decked out with with probably more 90s these references than i can see there's there's some older than 90s um but uh in the script i literally uh had the bare basics i had amanda sitting in a chair at a desk taking a a burned cd out of her imac (laughs) or or, was it an imac or is that what those were called
2: it looks like yeah the old um the The, old uh macintosh
3: yeah i forget what the at home weird bubble colored one was i think it was called the imac
2: I, I grew up poor, but I had a, a friend that um, his his girlfriend had one, and I thought it was the coolest thing I've ever yeah, seen. I, I've still never seen
3: one in real life. I wow! Googles.
2: It doesn't even have a CPU. You just it's all in that big ass shell of a monitor. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah, everything else on this page is is Nenad. Um The posters, the little references, all the the text on the posts. I mean, he really went above and beyond um thank god (laughs) Um, because i'm not not sure it would have felt so 90s if if he hadn't um but essentially what we see here is uh, amanda's home life um now her and her mom have a little bit of a strained relationship uh well something's going on with her mom um spoilers her mom's sort of a y2k doomsdayer um and she's building a bunker in the basement um which was one of the fun things of the sandbox of 1999 that was i was able to play with um you know the setting in the book in 99 had a bunch of reasons one of them was it was sort of turn of the century you know the new millennium um set in the winter right on the the cusp of of 2000 um and the book itself is about sort of change like one of the other theses i mentioned theses earlier was uh this question i have that are, are the things that happen do the things that happen to you as a child determine who you become or do you have some amount of agency over that um and so in, 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 a, in a way the book is about change or lack of change and and playing in the 1999 sandbox really lent a lot to that thematically with like you know again the new millennium and and these kids who are in eighth grade on the cusp of high school and all kinds of things going on with that but you know we get this sort of little walk through her home i love this second panel on the page like the light beams coming through the window are so extra and nanad was just so proud of them and they're the first thing i noticed and they stand out like just, just a nice little artistic flourish and that wasn't in the script again um and then we get introduced to amanda's mom you get the sort of context for what's going on with them and then you sort of get a little sad moment in the second to last panel where you know Amanda's just she's you you can get a sense that she's she's been dealing with this for a little while and 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 that she's just sad for her mom and and that she, you know she knows she can't help her and so she's just kind of go about her way um, and like that that to me was really heartbreaking like writing this was probably the page that took me the longest to write um, just because I was getting a sense of how to like do a, like a one page scene like this with the kids and, and sort of set the tone uh, they got a little bit easier as they went on but they were all kind of hard to write like these four pages in specifically were the hardest to write in the whole whole book and I wrote the first draft of this in about eight days and I think one of the days <clears throat> maybe a little more was these four pages
2: And in- what, if if you don't mind what what I see her going through on this page kind of parallels what I think a lot of people are going through now with with the current climate um,
3: uh, politics in, sure. yes yeah, older people and young people yeah and I mean Seeing... that, that, wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't anything I meant to get into but I it's hundred percent like yeah representative of, of things like that there's just there's a cultural and societal and and generational divide between these two people and it's just causing such a fracture point for them
2: and seeing people go off the deep end um and another thing um my in-laws still have stores
3: of ammo and mres in their bunker so listen man we'll get we'll get another new millennium in in like 980 years, so they're, they're, they're good to go already I, I know, man <laughs>
2: Keep the powder dry And, and rotate your MREs, man
3: <laughs> so. so on the next page uh, We get a glimpse into Tank's home life And uh, we also get a little uh, Sort of uh, geographical Situation for the book That's uh, not explicitly ever stated But the book takes place in New Jersey Where I grew up so if you use the context clues of tanks, sports teams, <laughs> you, can, you can sort of discern it. Uh, he's a Giants fan for football and a, a Devils fan for hockey. Um, where I grew up, that was sort of the makeup. I grew up uh, sort of at the top of the Jersey Shore, sort of in central New Jersey. Um, so we were far enough away from Philly that it was mostly New York. But, you know, when we did have home teams, people were diehards for them. Um we, we spent a lot of time working on these logos too. Like I, I did a lot of research to make sure that they were like oh. mid nineties accurate. Like that's, that's a very old giants logo. That's
2: awesome. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That is. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's, it's the, they been designed for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and then in this first panel, we've got, uh, tank sort of doing his morning routine. He's putting his glass of water in and just took his medicine, the medicine and is going to play a big role in, tank's character in general he's um that's not really gotten into too much in this one so i us yeah, not
2: give it away man
3: everything but <laughs> he's 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 obviously taking medicine for something on, on a later page you get a little more information about that but he, he he's not well um to, to say the least um and and then we meet his parents who are sort of detached in their own weird way um which comes off in this scene reading it in a, in a sort of vacuum without the rest of the context from the rest of the series um uh, sort of almost as if they don't care and it's really not that um but it's it's enough to make you feel for him like he, at, at, at tank's like core he's 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 alone like he just wants his family to be his family and they are kind of detached from him and and they they've got some other things going on like there's the panel the little extreme close-up of the past new bill
2: and oh yeah yeah the context the, clues are there for sure
3: yeah and then the parents taking extra shifts and him sort of, yeah you know, it's not explicitly stated but he's gonna eat dinner alone that night you know there's just you know i god I, I, my friend casey uh read this at the script stage and and she calls tank hound dog tank because he's just sort of this sad movie, <laughs> you know,
2: but it totally makes sense.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really love Tank too. I mean, I want to say I'm going to say this, but all the pages I say about this, all the characters, I I really just fell in love with this book. Like, and I think, yeah, hopefully some of that passion oozed into the, the actual product, and that's what people are clinging to and enjoying about it. Um, so on the next page, we get to Ben, you know, our our victim from page two. And this of the four, I want to say this was the, the quickest to write, but the hardest to write, like from sort of an emotional draining standpoint, because it's, it's got a word and a half of dialogue on it. The rest of it is told through the art. Um, again, we've got panels with the context clues. You, you, know, you see Penn walk into the, the living room and it's, it's morning. You know, say it's like eight a.m., nine a.m. Who knows? It's morning, and his dad's passed out with a bunch of beer cans around him, holding this picture of him and a woman who is Ben's mother, um, who we'll talk about a little bit more later. Um, but you see this really sweet moment where you know Ben just puts puts the blanket on his dad, and, and then he heads out. It's 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 a Ben and Amanda in a, in their own weird ways in their scenes, sort of take on the role of the parent. I noticed
2: and, so that. Yeah
3: taking care of the parents. Um, and, and that's sort of something that I saw a lot growing up. Like, I think, I don't want to speculate too much on like why this would happen, but I I know a lot of my friends growing up and myself included, had to grow up a little faster and do things younger than, and some other people had to do them. Like I, I was, I had my first job much earlier than, than I think most kids, most kids probably get the first job in high school. I was, I think I had my first job when I was 12. Um, and just, you know, that, that, I don't know. There's something very tragic to me, as as a, a reader, a writer, and a person, about that that child who has to, for whatever reason, take care of their parent. Either the parent's not capable, or they had children too young and they never grew up, or, or whatever the reason. Um, but this this scene really like strikes chord with me personally, um, and and I, I say this from the point of view of, of once the book was done and like the letters were finalized and, and it went off the print, like I stepped back and became as much a reader as anyone else. Like I couldn't edit the book or change the book anymore. Like it was done. So all I can do is read it now. And like the scene I find still very affecting.
2: Yeah. And if, I think if you would have put more dialogue in or, or done it any other way, it would have been too much. And this is just uh walking the the tightrope of of making it as effective as it can be um without going overboard. And yeah. it uh it really impressed me how um how your artist especially did did the uh did the emotional
3: beats on this. Yeah, Nanad then, then, uh, he, he got it. Like I throughout the whole process i had to give him very few notes like yeah we sort of had to retroactively add a prop in one scene in the third issue and i think that was like the biggest thing and like maybe flip a panel just for lettering but otherwise like i mean he just he got it like part of the reason i wrote the book was so i could work with him again and he does drama and and real life stuff like he he'll draw aliens and superheroes he has for me before um But really it's the the day to day sort of slice of life, people being people stuff that he really excels at and and like this is case in point that that, that's a fact. That's awesome. Yeah, so on the next page, which is the last page introducing our, our children, uh, we get sort of Murphy's home life, um, and without getting in too ahead of ourselves, we'll get into some of his reasons later. Uh, but Murphy's sort of the the bad kid, right? Like this this scene is essentially him. Sneaking into the fridge to steal a beer, which <laughs> every 14-year-old kid probably has done. Um, and I and I think that was sort of what I was going for. I wanted, Mur- Murphy is hard to relate to because he's angry and he makes a lot of decisions that are a little extreme. And he, he doesn't necessarily make himself very sympathetic throughout the story. But I wanted to sort of dress him up as this just – you know, he's a regular kid who's hurting and, and he's acting out. And, and I think that a lot of people when they're you know, 13, 14, 15, go through that. And and that was sort of the doorway into making Murphy relatable. And then on top of that, you know, you sort of get this context from the scene that, you know, these aren't his parents. Um, he has a very strained relationship with these people um, that these people, has, you know, his foster parents are sort of at the end of their rope about it because um, it's, it's, it's been ongoing. Um and that they're just, they're, they're still kind in spite of how, how frustrating it can be. And and he's being kind of a dickhead to them. Like, I don't know, not for nothing. If somebody offered me, is it pancakes or waffles? I can't remember now. Uh, <laughs> is it pancakes? Pancakes, yeah. Yeah. Um, if somebody offered me pancakes, like I'd at least sit have pancakes with them, even if it was just to get the pancakes. But that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, But yeah, and this one was uh, probably the most fun, right? They all kind of were hard, but this was fun because, like, I got to sort... Like, I was kind of an angry teen, too. Not not nearly as extreme as as Murphy, but I I, I definitely, like, talked back and argued and was an ass. Um, But, like, getting to one, two, three, four, the fifth panel where Murphy's just, like, whatever. Like, that was, like the dirtiest word in my house (laughs) if one of my foster parents or my my uh, birth parents either one of them like said something to me and i said whatever and walked away from them like i was probably like you'd have to pay something um like and and maybe this is just me maybe just the way i read it but like that was the ultimate like defying of 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 the, the parental figures right there well
2: I like how you don't really give him any leeway on this, and that he's clearly being a dickhead.
3: Yeah, he, he's doing it on purpose.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's even though he is one of the the lead characters in the story, you're you're not trying to make him be the good guy in this. This is uh, he, he's clearly acting out, and yeah. his poor parents are, are doing their best. And another thing I wanted to ask you, because this is so ingrained in the kids at that age, it seems like especially feel more
3: than. Yeah. They're like receivers for emotion. Um, you know, I I think about this a lot and and this is my take. It's not that they feel more, it's that they have less tools and coping mechanisms to deal with the feelings. Um, now, like you know, everyone gets mad and I don't, you know, being able to say this isn't worth it or, or this, this is, I'm angry about this, but this is why. And, and this is how I can come myself. that. That's something that you get with aid. Um, I think for me, I probably didn't get those skills until late in high school and, or even college. And like, you know, to this day, I'm going to be 32 in a couple months. Um. Um, it's still like a constant refinement of growing as a person and 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 doing it. And I I consider myself to be one of the more level relaxed people. So like there are people who are better at this than me, better or worse than me at it. But it's the fourteen year old is I mean they're just little like sponges for emotion, and then they like send it back out into the world like, tenfold. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's usually violently.
2: <laughs> what was that hard to get into that mindset?
3: because yeah yeah i think so like like i said earlier like there's there's a lot of me in some of these characters and murphy definitely is a a, a pretty strong reflection of a lot of the stuff I, I think of myself as a child um so like slipping into that like glove it, it was easy and hard like I, the dialogue came pretty easily like uh, children talk a certain way and like I, I i i hear children talk too often if you ask me um but you know, just like I know what it's like to talk back to people, and I just had to sort of sit back. What what would fourteen year old Frank have said? You know, what, what what's a more PG way to say "fuck you"? Like, you know, <laughs> uh, PG thirteen. Um, but I, I don't know. Honestly, this scene was less about establishing Murphy than it was about establishing, like, of the four kids, he's got the like the most. Perfect. Their life is a perfect. They're still middle class at best, and they live in this sort of run down town. But they're one of the the more better off families and they they have sit down breakfasts. So this is sort of like in direct contrast to tank's life, right? Where he walks in and they barely have time to say good morning to him as they're walking up the door. And these people are having like a sit down breakfast and, and in spite of him having the best home life, he's the most shitty as a result. So it's sort of like a lot of what I did in this was set up things and, and sort of establish a pattern and then sort of pull the rug out after a couple beats. Like, that's the narration on the first page. That's these four pages in the same sequence of shitty life, shitty life, shitty life, good life, and then still a messed up kid. So it's sort of a juxtaposition inverse of what the other kids are going through. Um, and there's a few more instances of that in, in the rest of the book. And that's just part of my writing style. Like I think that keeps things fresh and unexpected and I could be totally wrong, but for me, like those are the sort of writing strategies that, that keep things from falling into cliches or, or become predictable.
2: That's awesome. And it I really enjoyed how um, you you get a a really good idea of the character and just seeing his whole life and you kind of explain where he's at, although not not how he got there. And I'm hoping that as the series progresses you kind of see what led to him being in the foster home or whatever i I don't want to get too far
3: ahead with it yeah you'll 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 get it um and actually there's now i'll tell i'll tell you that later um but uh yeah so that those are those are our four kids those are their home lives and you know we've sort of seen them in a vacuum on their own and have like a sense and context for who they are and what they're going through um so what you know that that was like step one for me because like again you know i'm te- i start the book by telling you about these kids and i you know i can't honestly expect anyone to give a shit about them so i had to work really hard to make sure that i gave people a reason to care because you know the, the concept's pretty cool right? it's like hardy boys meets uh you know the stand by me kind of jam um but like most people, if they come to a, to a book for a cool concept and the characters don't ring or speak to them in a certain way, they usually don't come back. Like the concept's enough to get them there, but you got to give them reason to stay. So I wanted to make sure that people cared about these kids. So those four pages were about giving you a sense of who they are on their own. And and if that's the case, the next four or five pages are about giving you a sense of who they are with one another and like what those bonds are. So when you flip the, the next page, uh, you get... Uh, Amanda Tank and Murphy hanging out at their clubhouse and this was like one of the more fun couple of pages for me to write for sure um I don't know about most people but I just assume that most kids who grew up in the 90s in the suburbs like built forts in the woods like that's what me and my friends did oh yeah and we got up to like all kinds of no good in there um but uh I really wanted this to be an aspect of it like uh the, 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 one of the names for the genre is like kids on bikes. You know, you've got that in like Paper Girls and and Stranger Things. I, I was really adamant that these kids wouldn't be riding bikes, um, a because it's winter and it would be incredibly dangerous. But B, uh, just because like I, yeah, wanted this to sort of be again the a- sort of anti coming of age story in some way. Um, but I, I wanted to give them some sort of like iconic childhood uh thing that was from my own childhood so i gave him this really great fort in the woods which I drew and like absolutely smashed it like it, it's almost like it pulled it out of my brain this looks so very similar to one of the ram the play- ramshackle and <laughs> yeah yeah like if, if that outermost wall was made out of a like a like a wooden fence instead of like plywood like it would be exactly the fort that i had growing up if you
2: blew on it the wrong way it would have fallen over oh, we had <laughs> we had one of those and we had a had a heather heather locklear poster hanging up and uh this kid named bj stole it but <laughs> uh jokes on him because his name was bj <laughs>
3: <laughs> poor, poor bj poor
2: poor heather
3: um but yeah so this this page really doesn't move the story along too much i mean essentially in the first couple panels you get a sense that they're they're up to something and and you've sort of seen you know amanda burning a cd and and murphy stealing a beer and and tank grabbing his camera so like you know all those last four pages were in their own way set up for what's coming next Uh, so essentially you know murphy's like let's let's get to work tank you stay out here and keep keep watch and this is where I flexed my comedic muscles, poorly or, or not poorly—that's up to the reader to decide. But this book was originally supposed to be a comedy, sort of like four kids walk into a bank, and it veered wildly. <laughs> up. So it just—it I cannot write funny. It turns out, um, but I wanted to make sure there's something sort of lighthearted to the book. Um, so we have this, you know, sort of tier three panel sequence of, of Tank watching, keeping guard, and he almost immediately falls asleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then he's sort of woken up by this this rustle, um, which is Ben approaching. You find that out on the next page. But also, I'd like to point out this is one of the first instances of Sean's absolutely mind blowing um, lettering choices. He just, you know. His letter, one of my big things as a writer, and I think I've talked about this when we were on the podcast before, is I hate sound effects. I'm A, not good at writing them, and B, the way most sound effects are done on the page take me out of the story. Like they're just, they look like they're on top of the art. They don't look like the art. They really just stand out and really call attention to themselves in a way that takes me out of the story. So Sean and I talked for a long time about the lettering and the for the the dialogue and the narration and the sound effects especially and the way that this is just a white outline it's more subtle it's flat it, it connects to the the gutter bars and they're the same color like it really feels about as streamlined as i it can it, it conveys the information you need it to like and i like that the letters are a little sort of you know jiggly is that the right word like
2: oh yeah of, and he, he incorporated that very they're well rusty. into the scene
3: yeah um it's it's almost unnecessary but it's it's it absolutely sells me needs to so you've got this great little three panel sequence of him falling asleep and then waking up and then he, he runs and he said guys he's coming um and then the next page this is probably the most fun page in the whole book it's some of the most colorful page it's one of the more colorful pages in the book and you've got ben walking into the clubhouse to find out that his friends have thrown him a surprise party which is like straight out of John Hughes or Stephen King and, and, and on the same page, I called both of those guys out. Um, but, uh, like I, like, like I said, like the first four pages of the kids each on their own was really about best option. who they are, what was going on with them. And then these couple of pages and a couple of pages after were are really about <clears throat> letting you know and feel why these kids need each other and how they take care of one another. And, and like, you know, like I, I think when readers get to this page, get to the bottom of this page, and then think back on page two. Page two with Ben's body floating in the water, like, you feel a loss. There's a hole suddenly. Um, and that it was, like I said, like, I needed to earn that feeling, and I, that's what these sort of six or eight pages were about.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And you, you see them acting like happy kids when their home life is not good, and you realize that Oh, this guy is holding them together he's the glue
3: yeah i mean they're they're all sort of the glue in their own way um no it in in the the character notes for instance um tank has a heart problem that's why he takes medicine he's the biggest guy in the group and he has the like he's the most handicapped of all of them because he has this very almost debilitating heart problem and like I want him to be this very gentle giant and, and he has a a literal broken heart that doesn't work, but he's also like the heart and soul of this group. Like he's the conscience. He's, he's the, you know, the, the, the guy in hand that tries to make sure everyone's safe and, and doing the right thing. And, and Ben is really, he's, he's sort of like the big brother of the group. Like we, we talk about it on the next page, but he's the guy who throws your punches. So you don't have to, um, and they all sort of play like some little role like that in the group. Amanda's kind of like the mother, which is sort of reflective of, of her role at home. And Ben's kind of, or uh, Murphy's—he's the leader. You know, he's he's the rebel without a cause, and he's he you know, calls the shots. And, and people listen when he talks. And he's got sort of a charisma about him. Um, but he also like you know makes sure his friends have beer. Like I mean, they 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 just take care of each other in this weird little way each. Um, some, some other little things about this page, you're going to see more posters. Um, in this scene, the posters aren't so clear. In later scenes with the clubhouse, you'll see like there's a Pixies poster in there. Um, there's a Tarantino movie poster in there, I think. Uh, more Offspring. <laughs> yeah um but uh you've got the you find out what amanda was burning onto that cd for uh, anyone who was born after the year 2000 we used to put music onto cds using a computer it's called burning a cd uh you couldn't just download it from itunes at the time uh and it was a blink 182 song all the small things which was uh, like the number one billboard top 40 song the year before in 1998 um and yeah, they got a boombox and and they take this group photo and that's sort of a callback to the last panel on the first page where you see the photo. And like, I think that's like a little bit of an extra punch right there. Like when you put those two things together, like, yeah, something was going on with Ben. He had the photo with him and yeah, there's, there's, there's more mystery here.
2: I swear. I think my wife had that, (laughs) the model um, Polaroid camera that, uh, (laughs) that your artist modeled that after.
3: It's it's quite possible. We <laughs> most of the research was done looking at technology from the time, like making sure the camera, and the iMac, look right. Oh man, the <laughs> walkie-talkie. Make, there's a walkie-talkie coming up, and just making sure that it was like a model that could have existed in the late nineties. Um. So yeah, that's that. That's the the bulk of like setting up the characters, and I, I yeah, I gotta say, like, I feel. I feel like we, we did a good job though, between me and Ed and Sean. Like we really, there was a hard like mountain to co- overcome there with like getting people to care about the characters, especially after like you find out one of them's going to die. And I feel like we did the best we could and it really did end up being pretty effective.
2: So um, we're, we're moving on to the next page here and this is the first time I've, I've really seen, an antagonist really
3: yeah yeah so um this scene is two pages and what it does is set up two antagonists really um sort of like an alpha and and not a beta because it's not but (laughs) a, a secondary uh antagonistic force and they're antagonistic in different ways and and you know Savvy readers will say, well, this is a murder mystery. There's probably red herrings. And well, let me tell you, reader, this book is not about the murder mystery. It is a murder mystery, but that's not the point. It doesn't really matter who killed Ben. It's it's about it's about the journey of finding out and what happens along the way. But anyway, we have our first antagonist, Bulmer, who is the neighborhood weed dealer. He is, if you couldn't guess, uh, modeled after Fred Durst.
2: <laughs> that's what I thought.
3: <laughs> yeah. So in in my notes, uh, for Nana, I said Fred Durst meets Trent from Daria. Um, All all of the the characters had like a little '90s character reference. uh, Douchey backwards hat. Yeah, uh, I mean just a punchable face. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, But uh, like for for instance, uh, Tank. Uh, most people probably won't. I don't think anyone will see it, but once you say it, um, he's modeled slightly after Bobby, Bobby. Hill. From- <laughs> um,
2: as soon as you said that, I was like Bobby yeah. Hill.
3: Yeah, and uh, Murphy is a little Jonathan Taylor Thomas, a little uh, what's his face who played uh, uh, the son in T2. Oh, uh, Edward Furlong. Yeah, he's got the hair is a little bit matched after him. Yeah. I think he- jacket like that, and so like there's every character has like some kind of visual root in in the nineties in some way shape or form, um so Bulmer, which was the name of one of my neighborhood bullies, I've immortalized you, you son of a bitch, <laughs> um, yeah,
2: fuck you Bulmer,
3: yeah <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly how
2: it's <laughs> Bulmer's gonna listen to this'm like I, I was really misunderstood. <laughs>
3: Well, you know what? I don't want to give anything away, but <laughs> I I made it one of my chores in an issue two to make sure that you you understood and cared about Bulmer. So that that that's a little spoilery. So I won't go too far, but um, there's there's no character who doesn't have a silver lining. Don't like, make us feel feelings. Oh, you're gonna feel all the feelings. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Bulmer's the, the neighborhood drug dealer. And even in this scene, you sort of get this little sympathetic view of him. He's just trying to say what's up. And like, he's got this reputation and he's trying to sell the kids weed all the time. And they're, they basically tell him the fuck right off. They don't want anything to do with him. Like he really was just saying hello and, and his automatic reaction. And in a lot of ways, he's a little bit of a foil from Murphy. Like he's quick to anger, um, takes it to extreme. Um, and he flips this, uh, the switchblade, um, and in in the the script i had a hyperlink for a reference for the switchblade and i don't know what happened but i must have sent Nanad the wrong link but instead of like a a blade that flipped out you remember those combs that looked like switchblades oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, sent, I sent him that and he drew it and he was so confused <laughs> so so
2: that was one of the edits and um, g- going back to the uh lettering earlier um that crack when he gets punched yeah. um,
3: beautifully done and it's it's sort of like i don't know if it was on purpose i can't remember anymore but the i think i wrote crack like that in the script um there's and on the next page uh we meet avery and avery walks uh bull onto the ice and that's the sort of first time we sort of see the ice is danger um, and in that scene, you don't get it because they don't walk too far under the ice. But in later issues, there's some walking on the. Well, actually, towards the end of this issue, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. When they walk out on the ice, it makes that same crack sound, and there's sort of like a, like an auditory, uh, symbolism there, um, foreshadowing. And I'm, I'm just making this up as I go. On well, I side.
2: had a no oh shit moment while I was reading it because I was no, no, your friend well, is under there. Get off the ice. Yeah. So the analog for this guy uh, walking out to, to tell the, the kids to get the hell off of his lawn, I mean, that's yeah. uh, that's definitely Clint Eastwood,
3: right? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely Clint Eastwood. I'd say it's Clint Eastwood uh, probably from Gran Torino, which is a 2000s movie, I know, but I, I think it's supposed to be set in the 90s. My, my, oh, my,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, Besides, that fucker's timeless.
3: Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, but essentially, like, this was me living out, like, one of my fantasies. Like, you get... Basically Clint Eastwood, old man Eastwood threatening to beat the shit out of Fred Durst. And, and like once that was in my head, it wasn't getting out of my head. And I and it and the story forced me to write Clint Eastwood into this. And it that really well <laughs> he he plays a pretty important role going forward and um but I just I just love it. He you know, he's psycho. Like he's gone off the deep end and when we find out later in issue two why, like, again it's yeah, you know, nobody is no nobody's had like an easy time like and he's very much an example of you know does does the, do the things that happen to you define who you become, and he's like argument in the yes column um whereas Bulmer is sort of a leaning towards yes, but you no. Know, could still swing the other way maybe he at least kind of wants to because he's trying to like make friends with these kids um and the kids themselves are all sort of blank slates you know that could go either way and we'll sort. Of, that's what that's essentially what the series is about like seeing how this all shakes out and who they end up becoming as a result but yeah i i wanted that, that white panel in the middle just clint eastwood staying in the middle of this frozen pond holding fred durst tell him he's going to kill him that that's the whole reason I wrote this book.
2: <laughs> it was worth it.
3: Yeah, um, but like I said earlier, this this was about setting up potential killers and suspects and red herrings and 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 other things that I won't mention. Um, but this this was this this page was again introducing more characters and setting up story mechanics, uh, and I tried to make it as interesting as, pos- as possible. And I think uh, I dig this page still. I like it. I I still like um i actually got a review that didn't like this line of uh dialogue but uh eastwood or avery his name's avery is hopping over his little stone wall around his property and uh bulmer is just mouthed off to him and he's like the fuck did you just say dopehead and i I can just hear that in eastwood's voice so um so on the next page we have a, a more quiet page um so the kids at the end of the day, uh, they've just survived the Avery and Bulmer experience, and they're sort of dispersing. Um, the streetlights come on, and and I don't know about you, um, but I think it's pre- pretty common for kids who are oh yeah you know, in the '90s. Yeah, you, know, you were in by the time the streetlights came on. You're getting you're fucking getting ass whooping. um So that w- that was like a fun little '90s Easter egg. You know th- that panel. It didn't really need to be in there, but I wanted it to be in there. So, like it, it, again, it sort of sets the tone and 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 the era.
2: And it um, brings you back to they're they're still kids.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they
2: might have uh, just pulled a switchblade on somebody or something and gotten into a fist fight, but at the end of the day, they're still kids. They still have, you know, there's there there are still things expected of them as children.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, this page and the next one are like the last times in the story that you really get to see them be kids. So like part of what I wanted to get here is like a more quiet moment. There's there's some dialogue on this page, um, maybe even more of the more wordy pages. Um, but it's it's pretty low key. It's just kids being kids. You've got this really nice moment between Murphy and Ben where Murphy's got this sort of private, quiet, um, birthday present he wants to give Ben and they sort of jab at one another. And it's, it's just, it's very sweet. And, and if anything, this is sort of like the, the coda uh, or the the epilogue on the whole setting up the kids and their relationships. Like imagine it like an upside down triangle where it's very wide and they all, they're all siloed and away from one another. And then they have this little birthday party and things sort of get closer and closer together. And then on this page, you sort of get the peak of the upside down triangle where you see the main character, and the kid who dies and, and like this this tender moment and and you know you you get and understand and, and appreciate their relationship as a result and that is really the key to unlocking this book for me is is making you care about ben and murphy's murphy's not a scumbag he's not an asshole he's he's got angry anger issues but he he's just a kid he's really just this fourteen-year-old kid who's going through some shit, and and this is this scene in the next page, are a really good example of who he is and who he could become, versus that very kid we saw on page six.
2: That's awesome. And the I just like them cutting up and just kind of trying to reassure one another. Um, yeah. Because they're sweet kids.
3: Yeah, well, I think, honestly, like, all kids are are pretty sweet and genuine. Like, we talked earlier about not having, like, the tools to sort of cope with emotions. Um, And, like, on one end of the spectrum, they're very extreme that way. On the other end of the emotion, they're uh, on the other end of the spectrum, they're these very pure representations of, like, humanity, for lack of a better word. Like, sometimes, like, kids say, like, nicest, sweetest, most sort of, like, Unexpected things because you know they don't have the filters in the other direction. Like they, they say all the fucked up things too, and don't realize that they're fucked up. But they also say like the things that like hit you hit you hard, and they don't even understand what they've done. Um, and and that's a little bit of what I want to capture here. And on the next page, which I take it back, this was the hardest page. To the right, the next page. So the next page where it's it's a little bit later that evening. All the kids have gotten home and murphy's sitting in his bedroom and his the walkie-talkie goes off ben's on the other end with his birthday gift and they have this this exchange right here where we're you know we, we still don't know a lot about murphy uh, we know his parents are dead but have a sense that he knew them a, a little bit uh here's where we find out that you know if you read close enough to it that ben's, ben's mother has passed away. Um, And if you read really close and think about it, um, there's enough there to let you know that she died giving childbirth. Um, So he's never known her, Um, and he's got he's he's very concerned about whether, you know, his mother never lived to know him, and he never knew her, and he's, you know, in in this very naive and, and sweet way, he he worries that she might not have loved him because she's never said those words to him because she's dead. Um, And and this is like really, if the last scene and page were really driving home this relationship, this is the thing that cements it. Like Murphy is there to take care of Ben too. Ben throws the punches, but Murphy is, you know, as as much as I said, Tank is the heart. Murphy, he's got a lot of heart to him too. And he's, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I wanted this to be, like the very tippy top of that upside down triangle like the most fine point like if you just read this page in a vacuum with no other context like you would get everything you need out of it and still probably come to the same conclusion feeling that these are two very close friends and who who are taking care of each other shit going on so
2: let's let's move on to the next page
3: Okay, so the next page is the next morning. Um, and this is where the narrative starts to catch up with the first page. So it's the next morning when we flashed back to Amanda's bedroom on page three. It was 24 hours earlier. Now it is 24 hours in the future, and it's sort of the present where we see Ben floating in the water. The kids come out, you know, like all kids do on, like, a Saturday morning. And they, they, they meet up, and they're looking for Ben, and Ben's not there. And then they look down the street and they see all these ambulances and police officers and, 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 you know, ice breaking gear and sort of, they don't know what's happened. They know something bad has happened.
2: Yeah, it says all it needs to say just with those three panels. It really does. You, You can tell, like, you get that gut punch.
3: Yeah, well because it's there's a little dramatic irony going on here. Like the kids know something bad has happened, but we as like the reader know what has happened. They, they like we have an aha moment on panel 3 where we say oh shit, Ben's dead and they're going to find out. Um, and then and after we spend all that time like establishing them and making you care about them and their relationships, like this is really where like the carpet comes out from under you. Like you feel almost simultaneously like the dread and, and sadness that they're about to feel with them um and then so the next page is just this black page because for two reasons one because i wanted the story to just pause for a second i wanted to linger on that moment and like really drive home like the absence like ben is missing like there's like a gap almost between amanda and tank on that last panel it's not intentional but like sort of knowing what you know like like there's a sense of missing um, and then i wanted I wanted to linger on that for a minute. Um, I also needed to keep my left and right pages where they belong, um, so that would <laughs> stayed where they were. So I'd insert this black page to keep things correct or or add a page to the script, but this was like a much more effective and emotional solution, I thought. Um, so when you turn that black right page, you open on a, a left hand page of Ben's funeral i think it's the only all quiet page in the whole book no no dialogue no words whatsoever um and it's just it's really what's what i wanted to do here was essentially set the scene and obviously you feel bad for these kids um but that middle tier of panels where you've got murphy and amanda and tank all in what's essentially one shot but divided up by the gutters, really that sense of isolation and loneliness and sadness. They're feeling, you know, sort of driven home by, you know, this thing that comics do having gutters. Um, Yeah.
2: And they're, they're feeling their own pain.
3: Yeah. They're, they're very, I mean, uh, in the next panel, they're all holding one another and sort of, you know, it's, they're, they're in this together, but like, you'll see on the next page, they're each really dealing with it in their own way. And this sort of foreshadowing that. So when you get to the next page, they're back in the clubhouse, um, and they, they've, they've got a couple of beers again, and they're sort of toasting to Ben's memory. And you know, for Tank, it's, it's this Tank Tank can be pretty pragmatic, and he's like he's already sort of at the point where he accepts it, and he understands that what's what's happened has happened, and he's he's just very sad and sorry that it's happened. Amanda's in a place where she just she doesn't even know what to do like literally all she can say is fuck like i mean like so, and, and that to me like is really representative of her character and the way she would react to things and it's very different from how a tank would react to things and then you've got you've got murphy who's yeah, you know, in classic murphy form classic as it can be you know since you met him like 10 pages ago um but he's he's doing he's he's, yeah he's bitter about it like he's he, his natural mode of reaction to things is anger and this is just another example of that. And, you know, I wrote a book called Grief, and it's about the five stages of the grieving process. So, this is this is like ingrained in my storytelling at this point. So, he's in this denial stage. He's like right between denial and anger. Like, he d- he doesn't want to believe that things went down the way they went down, and he's pissed off about what went down. Um, now, essentially, you know, the cops have ru- ruled it an accident. You know, a kid fell through the ice. There's no sign of, of foul play or anything like that. And so, you know, but Murphy's like, Ben's not a dumb guy. Like he's a sweet, smart young man. Like he wouldn't walk out on the ice. Um, and and you know, on the next page, we sort of get Murphy's rationale. You know, why would he do this? And and you know, just a few pages ago, Avery was like, "If I catch your kids down here, I'm going to put your asses in the ice." Like,
2: yeah. Too,
3: too much coincidence going on here for um, Murphy. So he he essentially says, "No, this this doesn't add up, and we're going to fucking figure it out." Um so then we move into the last sequences of pages which are some of my favorite ones visually like yes uh, i wasn't sure what, what these were going to look like nana um started drawing them so i saw like the out the, the the pencils and the inks um but the colors i wasn't really sure how he'd pull off and he, he came up with this sort of visual style that to me is very distinct and it carries over into the other issues when there's nighttime scenes um, but it's like this purpley black kind of it just feels very gray and winter to me and like Yeah, i i'm a big sucker for colors and like i i appreciate all colors it's my favorite part of comics but when they're like stylized and and like sort of monotone or 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 thematically colored like those are some of my favorites like uh in in hickman's uh pax romana there's there's some really great thematic coloring and it's it's not it's not typical and it's not photorealistic but it really drives the point home that it's trying to make and and that's Without me telling him that that's what I was hoping for, he really did it, and it looks—I I think it looks great, personally.
2: All right, so going going into the the next page after this, you you kind of see the kids putting together uh, and. and kind of finding a clue
3: (laughs) yeah so this this sequence is uh, four pages right um and on the first page we you you sort of get the establishing shot the kids arriving at the lake the pond um and you get like on the previous page ben's or murphy says we're gonna we're gonna do something about this he doesn't say what so now we get the concept of what his plan is he wants to go try and solve this murder and this is where it kicks into like the murder mystery part of it they're on the case they're they're scooby-doo without the fun and the dogs and, and they're the not real stakes um, so they, they they get to the lake and they, they sort of go their separate ways around the lake looking in different areas and like that's sort of a small thematic choice like I wanted to sort of split them up again like I spent all that time sort of bringing them together and establishing now they're sort of spread out again and then for me that created sort of a sense of vulnerability like they didn't have each other back them up and like they're out in the dark and then that first page in the sequence ends with you know boom or not uh Avery looking out his window, watching what they're doing. And again, uh, savvy readers are going to say, "Oh, that's a red herring," or "Or there's, you know, it's probably not him." But I, I want to let everyone know that I really spent a lot of time trying to subvert expectations <laughs> and, and 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 sort of turn things on their heads. So, like anyone who thinks they know who the killer is, probably has no idea what they're talking about. Um, but so on the next page, we get you now Amanda checking the sort of edge of the pond. Uh, tank looking around sort of on the tree line and then murphy looking out on the ice and and right at the end we get murphy's he, he sees something out there he, something's caught his eye and then this this, this is a tense scene for me. um and I'm, I'm actually looking at an unlettered version of this pdf now i just realized um so but I, I believe that there are this is where we start getting the crack sound effects back in right yeah i'm look. I'll take that as an affirmative, um, but I'm on, the, <laughs> I'm on the second to the last page where Murphy's walking out. Yes, he's got cracks. Actually, there, there's no cracks. No okay, cracks. so he, he's taking his time. He's being gentle, um, and he finds Bulmer's knife. And and again, you know, red herring or, or what's this doing here kind of thing. But essentially, um, we know Bulmer's some amount of dangerous. He's quick to anger and. Maybe he's not the killer, maybe the killer, but there. This adds a certain level of stakes. Like Bulmer was somehow involved with what happened, um, and just as the kids sort of make this realization, who's fucking walking up the the, the street with a baseball bat? It's Bulmer, and that and that's our cliffhanger. Um, so regardless of who the killer is, because again, it doesn't it doesn't matter as much as what's happening in the story and what's happening to the characters. They're they're now in a tight spot, and and. You know, Murphy has all the reason in the world to hate and want to hurt Bulmer and Bulmer is coming up with with a weapon um, so I, I feel like for me that that's those are all the makings of an effective tease like it suggests what's going to come but makes me want to find out for sure
2: oh yeah for sure and it this really hooks you right here and as it's you know kind of kind of hooked you uh Let's do that to the listeners, and uh, we'll put a pin in it right here. Yeah. And uh, I mean, looking at that at that story, that last panel, and uh, Bullmore with the baseball bat, it's uh, it's about to get real, folks.
3: Yeah. No. It's uh, the next issue. If I could tease a little bit, is. By far the most violent thing I have ever written and <laughs> like but looking back on this as we've been talking about it for the last hour and a half or so, like it this is so tame. Like this, this setup chapter is quiet and it does what it needs to do, but things go way off the fucking rails really quickly next issue. Um, so for anyone who's listening, if you if you are a speculator and you ran out and grabbed the issue because it got hot and yeah, you weren't gonna read it, go read it. Listen to this podcast, read along, and come back for issue two. Like issue two is getting pretty close to selling out at this point. Um it probably will. It'll probably go to a second printing. Um and it, it's worth it. It's it's I think I've said this before. It's easily the my favorite thing I've ever written. It's it's no holds barred, it's dark, um and it's I mean it's really where this story comes into its own and and the cliffhanger at the end of that one is just it hurts. I, I wrote it and I know it happens and every time. I reread it, it, still, it hurts. So, um, yeah, that, that, will do it for this one.
2: All right, guys. Um, so, uh, go to your LCS, look it up online, uh, get this book, dead end kids, Frank Gogol. Frank, thanks again for, uh, for, for coming on, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, uh, we'll talk about the next one soon.
2: All right. Looking forward to
1: it. Well, that's cool. I can't wait to, to listen to the next one. Um, yeah. just going, going through and see and hearing the process and like what the, why they did, you know, certain white space here and stuff there. And, and I don't know, just as a creator and as a, a huge comic book fan of the medium, that's that kind of stuff really excites me.
0: Yeah. It's cool to see how no one does approaches it the same way. I mean, there's people that approach yeah. it the basic same way. And, and of course there's the quote unquote, the Marvel way that that yeah. went on for a long time, but especially when it comes to independent books, everybody has their vision is different and how they get yeah. to that end point changes, you know, and right. it's kind of cool to see somebody that's how they thought about it and how they came up with their process. And then hopefully on the next
1: one, something all well new. Right. And, you know, and, and as they, as they say, you know, and every, every process is different. You know, you learn, you learn the best by doing and you learn the best by learning how other people do things as well. So, you for me and for everybody out there who has an aspiration to, to create comics, it's, it's good to, to have your own method, but then also kind of take other people's methods and go, oh, I like this idea. I'm going to take that for my, myself and kind of build your own thing out of it. And that's kind of the beauty of this kind of commentary you get from there.
0: Yeah. I mean, what a great way. And, and Frank's a good guy. So he, he, yeah. he understands what he's doing and he's done this many times. So can't really get a better commentary track and learning, especially if you're a budding comic book
1: creator. Yeah, so thanks, Frank, for uh, for one for the idea and, and and thinking of us to come do it on there, and for letting us steal the idea for future stuff too. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Casey, thank you so much for for
0: working with uh, Frank on getting that done.
1: Yeah, and if if you're listening to this and you enjoyed this, let us know because yep. um I, I, I want to do more of these with more people, more more with Frank, obviously, but also uh, and and Kevin, Joseph, I'm calling you out. I would love to have you come on and be be uh, do one of these with us uh, with Tart as well.
0: Yeah, and Stefan Frank on Silver. Stefan Frank with Silver, yep. Yep, and there's a lot of other other guys out there that we'd love to talk to and go over everything. Uh, Big Tim Styles with Gorilla, My Dreams. Oh, that'd be just, great. Just to name a few, you know? So there you guys go. Well, we really hope you enjoyed that. Of course, we're spoiler the Country. We're heard everywhere podcasts are heard. We're on all the social medias that are basically out there, except for a couple here and there. But if there's one that you really think we should be on, please let us know. And
1: John, you got some other things to talk about? Yeah, man. We got a voicemail you can call. Leave us a message at 707-656-2080. Yeah, man. Um, You can call 707-656-2080. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us what your favorite indie book is. Tell us who you want to hear. Come on and do an audio commentary with us. And uh, we'll do what we can to make that happen. You can check out our website, scpod.net get all of our episodes up there, all of our episode updates there, get reviews by David, get some articles by Jay and get more stuff that's coming down the pike as well. And uh, you also can check out, not check out, you can also email us at spoilercountry at gmail.com if you want to send us uh, either a book to review or you want to send us some thoughts, tell us how much you love us, tell us how much you don't love us or whatever. You can always email us there and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see it. We may not respond right away, but we'll definitely see it and get back to you as soon as we can.
0: There you guys go. Now don't forget to open your mind. Read more. See ya.